I'm going to invite Steve to, to come and uh, to minister to us. So uh, can I ask you just to be upstanding one more time? Let's put our hands together. Let's welcome Steve Parsons to Cambridge, to King's Church. Bless you, mate. Come on, give him a bit of a cheer. You're a good, you're a good fella. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. From the first day that man can think Pretends he is strong but knows he is weak Hiding a heart so prone to fear Pondering why He's really here Man needs God Just like a flower needs the season But he fails to see the reason Man needs God Man needs God like a baby needs a mother more than he needs any other man needs love and man needs God Fighting his wars, gaining his wealth Building an idol for himself He shuts his ears to heaven's cry Lives his life not knowing why Man needs God More than he needs the air he's breathing He needs the power of believing Man needs God Man needs God Needs to commune with his creator And find the reason he was made for Oh, one thing I know is that man needs God He needs to feel the Father's pleasure And know the love that has no measure Man needs God I think it's your bass guitar <clears throat> accompanying me without a player. 
man needs God And I have watched the world intently My observations have convinced me That man needs love And man needs God Man needs God. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about how to live a bigger life, a bigger life. I have this sense that we all have something in common. We all want our lives to be significant in some way. We all want to get to the end of our lives and feel as though our lives mattered, our lives counted for something. I've never met anybody who was just happy to sort of drift through life and, you know, life's nothing much. Everyone you really sit down and talk to, when you break it down, all the stuff that surrounds our lives, when you really break it down, we're all searching for significance, aren't we? We want to get to the end of our days and think, my life actually counted for something. My life mattered. And I don't know about you, but sometimes life can, can seem a little bit disappointing, can't it? Certainly life is harder than we ever think it's going to be. Jesus said, didn't he? I, I said this last night in the concert. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So trouble's coming, and there's two kinds of people in church today, just to let you know. Those that are going through trouble, you know who you are, and those who are going to be going through trouble. We all face trouble in life, and trouble comes in different ways, but Jesus also said, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So you can keep moving forward in life, despite the fact that trouble is coming against you. Let's turn in the scriptures because I think that's going to help us this morning to uh, look at a few ideas. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about a, a man you might have heard of called Gideon and how God called Gideon to live a bigger life than he was actually living. Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. 
And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. I also said to you, I am the Lord your God, Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? When we first turn to these few verses of Judges chapter 6, it's, it's disappointing, isn't it? Aren't they sort of disappointing verses? Especially if you put them in the context of everything that's come before. I mean, here were God's people and God has delivered them out of Egypt taken them out of slavery, taken them out of captivity. And, they, you know, they went through the wilderness and we had the, the wilderness years and stuff. And then, then Joshua comes with his generation and leads them into the promised land. And God says, this is your land. It's a good land. It's yours. I want you to expand and, and fill out uh, this, this new land that I'm giving you. And they fought some, you know, they had some great victories. They had a few defeats as well along the way. But, you know, generally, there's a lot of good stuff that had been happening for the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the children of Israel. They'd gone in this new land that God had for them. And now we get to Judges chapter 6, and we find the children of Israel living impoverished. It says here, they were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. After everything they've been through, 
They're now living this impoverished life. And we find they're not living this broad, wide, expansive life that they were called to. They're hiding in dens and caves and strongholds. Instead of spreading out and filling the land, now they're, they're living a defensive life. The reason this has happened, of course, is because they've, they've sinned against the Lord. They've come out from under God's blessing and they've given room for the enemy to, to work in their lives. Their hearts got turned away from the Lord and their heart got turned to other things, to other idols. I think that's a, a danger for, for all of us, isn't it? That our hearts, if we're not careful, can get turned. Some of those things are blatant uh, things that, you know, were easily identified. Blatant sin, if we're not careful, blatant sin will turn our heart away from the Lord. And whenever your heart is turned away from the Lord, you open up a door for the enemy to work against you. But sometimes I think our hearts get turned in more subtle ways. Sometimes we just get sucked in to the values of the world around us, don't we? I don't know if that's... I, I find myself having to fight that all the time. I get sucked in. I, I go to a shop and, and I see a t-shirt and I think, I need that t-shirt. I've got a wardrobe full of t-shirts, but I need to have another one because that one's even cooler than the ones I've got, right? I mean, I get sucked in that that t-shirt or, you know, that car or, you know, whatever it is, that's, that's what I need, you know. And if we're not careful, our hearts start to get turned. Pete brought a prophetic word during the worship about someone who's been standing righteously even though it's been costing you. That's awesome. Because it's so easy, isn't it, for our hearts to get turned. We'll just compromise a little bit. A guy came to me in our church this, this week, and he, um, he's a new convert. He's, a, he's been a believer for maybe, maybe just about a year now. And he's from uh, Hong Kong. He's, he speaks very broken English. And he came up to me and he said, ah, what is white lie? And so I said, what is white lie? I said, well, there's no such thing as a, as a white lie. But a Christian, a Christian had told him, you can tell a white lie, you know. It doesn't really matter. White lies aren't as bad as real lies. And I said, listen, Mac, white lies will lead to black trouble. So, but you know, we get sucked in. I'll just, my heart gets turned a little bit. Before you know it, you're, you've, you've moved out from under God's blessing and you've opened the room for a door for the enemy in your life. There is a large life for you to live just as there was a large life for God's people to live here. I love some of the questions that Gideon asks. He asks two great questions. Questions are great. Whenever you see questions in the Bible, 
Take note of them. Because they will help you with your own questions. Gideon says this in verse 13. Oh, my Lord. Have you ever said that yourself? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? That's the first question. That's a good question, isn't it? See, Gideon knows that they're living this existence. That's really all they're living. They're in these caves and he's hiding in a wine press and trying to thresh some grain. And, you know, he knows this isn't the life that they've been called to, but he's confused. Lord, if you're really with us, why all this trouble? You ever been there? You ever been doing the dishes in your kitchen and you're having a little chat with the Lord? Lord, if you're really with me, Lord, why all this trouble? Why all of this hassle? If you're really with me, why is this relationship so difficult? If you're really with me, why is my business going through a really tough time? If you're really with me, why, why? And we, we start to wonder, maybe, is, is God really with me after all? Where did God go? Have you ever felt that way? Where did God go? No, God didn't go anywhere. In fact, one of the things that's really important in life, when you come into a season of trouble, because you will come into seasons of trouble, one of the things that's really important is to discern the cause of your trouble. Very important. Here, trouble has come because of their disobedience. Because of their disobedience. Jonah uh, knew all about that, didn't he? Jonah found himself in a storm. And the reason is because God tried to send him one way and he decided to go the other way. And he gets on a ship and he ends up in a storm. And the reason he's in a storm, the reason trouble's coming against him is because of his disobedience. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to hold our hand up and be honest. And we have to take a look at ourselves and say, am I in a season of trouble because of my disobedience? Have, have, have I been disobeying the Lord? Incidentally, we've all been there. We've all been there. Has my heart been turned in some way? And am I reaping trouble as a result of it? Is that where the source of my trouble is? But it might not be. Uh, the disciples found themselves in a storm, didn't they? But they were in a storm because they were walking in obedience. Jesus said, get into the boat and go across to the other side. And so they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And they found themselves in a storm. So Jonah's storm had to be repented of. The disciples' storm, had, they had to rebuke the storm. Paul found himself in a storm, not because he was in disobedience or in obedience, but because he was a prisoner and because the people he was with led him into a storm. Isn't that interesting? So you really have to discern the cause of your storm. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening in my life? Secondly, the second question is a great one. 
And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? If our Christianity doesn't have a supernatural element to it, it really isn't Christianity at all. It really is just empty religion. If you don't need God to show up in some way and show his power, then that's not really Christian faith. One of the things that happens when we start to live a small defensive life is that our expectation of God's work gets greatly diminished. When you start to, when you've been in a storm and things are going wrong in your life and and the enemy's coming against you and stealing the life that God has for you and you start to retreat into a, into a little cave somewhere and you think, well, I'll just, I'll live a small life. I'll just, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone and nobody bother me. I'm just trying to survive another day. Whenever you get to that place in life and life becomes survival, your expectation of miracles becomes greatly reduced. And so the greatest thing that you believe God for is a parking space. And it's sad, but it's true that for many Christians, that's the, that's the biggest thing you've believed God for all week long. Lord, give me a parking space, Lord. Give me a parking space. A good one, Lord, right by the door. Right by the door, Lord. And listen, Jesus didn't hang on a cross in order to give you a parking space at Tesco's. We need God's divine involvement in our life. It's interesting that Gideon says, where are the miracles that our fathers, our fathers told us about? You see, every generation has to have its own encounter with God. See, Gideon hadn't had an encounter with God yet. He'd heard about others who'd had an encounter with God. The previous generations, he'd heard about their miracles. He'd heard about their victories. He'd heard about their deliverances. But in his day, he hadn't had an encounter with God. I love reading about revivals and stuff. I think it can be very inspirational. But there's also a danger with reading about previous moves of God and previous revivals. Is that you can sort of live surreptitiously through the past. You know, we get really stirred. Oh, Smith Wigglesworth, boy, he, he was a boy, wasn't he, hey? Oh, Smith Wigglesworth, he did some great miracles. Or Wesley, what a, what a great man Wesley was. And we read about previous generations who encountered God, and we get all inspired. But the real issue is, have you had an encounter with God today in your generation? And that encounter is probably going to take place, as it does with Gideon, it's probably going to take place on your own somewhere, on your knees somewhere, where you make a decision, I have to encounter the living 
God because he is the answer to my question. Let me give you three things really quickly this morning that we can all do, I think. I like, I like things that I can do. Anybody like things you can do? Just three things I think that you and I can do in order to move towards a bigger life. Let me just say, in case you're in any doubt, it's really important that you and I do move toward a bigger life. Our enemy would love us just to stay living a small, defensive sort of life. You know, you can get to a point, you can get to a point, can't you? Some of you perhaps who have been in ministry for a while, you'll understand this. Where you can almost, um, you just think, you know, this, the battle is, is, is intense. And so maybe if I just ignore the enemy, he'll ignore me. Have you ever felt that way? Like at the OK Corral, let's put our guns down, you know. Let's back away, you know. Let's just not engage in stepping forward. Let's not engage in something greater. The trouble is, of course, as soon as you put your gun down, the enemy picks up his and fires at you anyway. So you have to engage in a larger life. God has got something more. I want to speak that over you this morning. God has got something more for you. Greater influence. Greater fruit in your life. Amen. Three things this morning. Number one, if you're going to move forward into a bigger life, number one, you have to break negative cycles. You have to break negative cycles. When you read the first few chapters of the book of Judges, it's really interesting. It's this constant roller coaster. What happens in the first few books of Judges is this. God's people seem to be doing okay. They seem to be living under his blessing. And then their hearts get turned and they fall away from God. And God removes his blessing. And then God raises up a leader who will call them back to repentance. And so then they repent and God restores his blessing. And then they carry on okay for a while. And then their hearts get turned. And then they fall away from God again. And God removes his blessing again. And then eventually God raises up another leader who calls them back to repentance. And so they come back to repentance again. And this process goes on and on and on. Multiple times over these first few chapters of Judges. And isn't it true that we can fall into the same kind of negative cycle? Our hearts get turned maybe in some sin that you're struggling with. That's, that's, that's holding you down. And your heart gets turned. And then, you know, you come to church on Sunday perhaps and Pastor gets up and he calls us back to repentance and we say, yes, 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 I really must repent. I really, I really, right, this is it now, this is it, right. Now I'm going to be good, you know. 
And then you, you, walk, you walk good for a while and then your heart gets turned again and you fall away again. And then you live in that sort of pit of gloom for a while and then pastor calls us back to repentance and we, we come back again and right, I'm now this time I'm going to be a man of God, woman of God. Some sin, some attitude, some habit, some hang up. And it's got you locked in a negative cycle. And you can't get out of. At some point, you have to learn how to break negative cycles. And how that happens, I think it happens in a couple of ways. I think firstly, it happens with a, with a decision to walk in repentance. We make repentance a sort of little event, a prayer. Okay, I've said that prayer, now I've repented. Repentance is really a a turning of direction completely. Today and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's a process we walk through. You have to walk in repentance so that 10 years from now, you are still walking in repentance from that old habit or that old sin. I would say this, if you need help, go get help. We don't say this in churches enough. But if you've got some besetting sin, get help. Get some counseling. There's nothing embarrassing about getting some counseling. Talk to somebody. Say, hey, I need help here. This thing has dragged me down too long. I need somebody to walk me through repentance, to walk with me through the process. Amen? Break negative cycles. Number two, you need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. I love here it says in verse 8 that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel to let them know what was really going on. Because when we're, when we're experiencing the troubles and the pains of life... It's easy to just get very confused, isn't it? Like you feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're drowning. I had a friend, a friend of mine who, when he was a boy, he was drowning. He was 10 years old. And he, uh, he went for a swim in a lake with some of his mates. And, you know, when you're 10 years old, you dare each other to do crazy stuff, don't you? And they were daring each other to do stupid things. And one of his mates said, I dare you to swim across to the other side of the lake. And he, my friend said, it didn't look that far. And he thought, I could do it. So he set out and he got about halfway and he started to cramp up and seize up. And he started to panic. And the more he panicked, the more he seized up. And he started to sink and go under the water. And he sort of would come back up and gasp for air and go down. And the next time he came, he, he, he cried out and he said, help me, I'm drowning. There was a lifeguard on the shore who heard his cry. And the lifeguard came out to my friend like a torpedo, swimming through the water. And my friend said this, the whole time he was swimming toward me, he was talking to me. 
It's okay. I'm coming for you. Just relax. Don't panic. Turn over onto your back and float. I'll be there in a second. You're going to be okay. Don't worry. I'm coming for you. I want to tell you this, friends. If you could just tune your ear in to the Spirit of God this morning, God would say, I'm coming for you. Don't worry. Don't panic. I'm going to get you through this. We're going to turn this situation around. I've got my eye on you. You are not going to drown. You've got to turn your ear into the voice of the Lord. The Lord wants to speak to you. My friend said when the lifeguard got to him, he put his arm around him and my friend was so freaked out. He started, he was, you know, thrashing around and he hit the lifeguard in the head. And so this is what the lifeguard did. He dunked my friend under the water. And then he let him up again and said, now are you going to behave yourself? My friend says, yes. (laughs) Yes. God doesn't need any help in rescuing you and me. He doesn't need any help in getting us out of our caves. He's well able to do it. You've got to hear from the Lord. You've got to hear what God says about you. God speaks to Gideon. He says, Gideon... You are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response is, what? You're joking. Me? I'm the least in my family, and our family is the least in our tribe. I'm nothing. You got the wrong person. You see, what God says about you is always bigger than what you say about yourself. Always greater. Some of you have had things spoken over your life and the tragedy is you've believed them. Because you don't have to go far for people to say negative things about you, do you? The danger is this, you also start to speak negative things over your own life. You start to make agreements with the, the, the trouble that you're in. You know, oh, I'm just, you know, I'll, we'll always be in this mess. Nothing will ever change in my life. I'll never be in it. Um, no, I'll never get healed. I'll never. God will never meet my need. You're speaking all of this stuff over your life, which is in contradiction to what God says about you. What, hap- what has to happen for Gideon here is Gideon has to go through a process of renewing his mind so that he starts to live in the way that God speaks about him. Because when God Isn't it interesting, when God speaks to Gideon and says, you're a mighty man of valor, is he? I don't see it, not at that moment. The dude's hiding in a wine press. That's hardly mighty man of valor, you know, behavior, is it really? But God speaks in advance what he sees in Gideon's life, even before he is it. I think God wants to speak over you some things that he sees in the future. He sees potential in you of what you're going to become. And he starts to speak that over you today. And our place is to come into agreement with that. The word of God will change everything for you. The word word from God changes everything. Let me tell you a little story. I play golf. 
tough crowd. I played golf. And uh, <laughs> and uh, a couple of years ago, I had some birthday money. You know, it's great birthday money, isn't it? It's like guilt-free money, you know. And uh, so I had this birthday money. And I was like, ooh, what, what can I spend it on, you know? I thought, well, I need some new golf shoes. And so I wanted a pair of white Adidas golf shoes, size 12, wide fitting. So I went to two or three golf stores where I live, and they had them for sale, but they were double the money that I had. And it was no big deal. It really wasn't. Um, and I was just like, oh, well, I was a little bit disappointed, but I thought, oh, well, no, never mind, I can't afford it. And I, I kind of left it a bit. I went to visit my parents in Cornwall, and I was going to be playing golf the next day, and I needed to get some golf shoes. So I thought, well, I'll just see what's available. And I, I thought, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. So I just, I mean, it wasn't like a really intense prayer, you know, or anything. Uh, I just sort of said, Lord, uh, I need to get some golf shoes today. Please lead me. Please guide me. Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? And I just waited and listened. It's good to listen to God, you know. I just listened. And I felt, God say, St. Austell Golf Club. Now, I didn't, I knew there was a golf club in St. Austell. I'd never been there. And I didn't know if they had a shop there. So I said to my dad, is there a shop at St. Austell Golf Club? He said, I don't know. I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go and have a look. So I get in my car and I drive to St. Austell Golf Club. I get there and there is a, there's a shop there, a, a pro shop. And I walk in and the, 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 the professional there, he said, uh, is there anything that you're sort of specifically looking for? And I said, no, no, not really. Why I did us golf shoes, size 12, wide fitting. He said, oh, yeah, over on the shelf. So I go and look on the shelf, double the money that I've got. And I thought, okay, no big deal. I'll just get some cheaper rubbish ones, you know. <laughs> and then the process would be, oh, by the way, have a look in the corner because we've got some boxes in the corner. We've got a bit of a sale on. I don't know what's really down there. So I go rummaging around in the corner, there's a few dusty boxes, and I find this box. Adidas white golf shoes, size 12, wide fitting, 50% off. And they were just what I wanted for just the money that I had. Now, either that was a coincidence, or God spoke and told me where to go. By the way, this has got nothing to do with golf. What this has got to do with is this. If God cares enough about me to speak to me about a stupid pair of golf shoes, how much more does he want to speak to you about the real issues of your life? A word from God will change everything for you. Changed everything for Gideon. Now, things didn't automatically change for Gideon. I'm going to come to my third and final point. I'm going to finish in five minutes. Is that okay? Things didn't automatically change for Gideon. I mean, God didn't show up to Gideon and say, you are a mighty man of valor. And he went, Rah! I knew it. Let's go. You know, off. 
No, because that's not how it works in our lives either, is it? Gideon then has a process that he goes through. You can read about it yourself uh, in your own time. Gideon starts to go through a process of God working this, this valor thing out in his life. That's what God does in us. He takes us on a journey. If you want to understand your life, it's best understood, I think, in terms of journey. God is moving you on a journey. The third thing I want to, my third point is this, that you have to create movement towards the life God is calling you to. You've got to create movement. Gideon starts to move towards the thing that God said about him. God, let me just say this, God is not going to magic away your problems. He's not going to magic away your problems. That's not how God does things. He is a God of miracles, for sure. But listen, God didn't magic Noah an ark, did he? God didn't say, hey Noah, look out your window. See that thing out there? That's, I've, just, I've just magicked it to you. It's called an ark. No, God spoke to Noah, told him what was going to happen, and then Noah had to move toward that. He had to get out of bed every day and start working toward the completion of that vision. God didn't magic Goliath away. David had to move toward Goliath and fight him. And the reason David knew how to defeat Goliath was because he'd been trained in the use of a sling. I used to think when I was a kid that, you know, David sort of threw this stone and then God took a hold of it and sort of moved it through the air, you know. And there's this stone going through the air and Goliath's doing this, you know. And the reason the stone hit Goliath is because David knew how to use his sling. Now, God could have, why didn't God just say, hey, Goliath, and Goliath died? Why, why not that? I don't know. But Goliath wanted, to, uh, God wanted to engage David in a journey to becoming the man that God had, had called him, had called for him to become. God didn't magic the children of Israel into the promised land. They had to move toward the promised land and fight battles. Jesus didn't magic our sin away. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and just say, oh, sin, there's a problem. Gone. No. Jesus had to move. Jesus had to come on a journey towards the cross in order to pay the price for our sin. So you've got to create movement in your life. You have to start to move toward the person God's called you to be. You've got to move from who am I to who I am. I mean, Gideon, when we first meet him, he's a very sort of like, who am I kind of guy? Who am I? Who am I to be a man of valor? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But I love in verse 34, and there's a whole bunch of process that happens between 
Gideon being called. And when we get to verse 34, this process, but in verse 34, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abiezrites gathered behind him. Now that's a man of valor in action. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. He blew the trumpet and the people gathered behind him. Gideon has moved from who am I to who I am. And I would love it here at King's Church, Cambridge. I would love to think that in the days and weeks and months ahead, that this church family, different ones here this morning, you would move from who am I to who I am. And start living the life God called you to with the impact and the influence of that.